Welcome to The Chase, a podcast about people chasing success in difficult fields, about chasing their passions. I am your host, Daniel Ocho. I have a lot of names. We're going to go with that one for the purposes of this show. Um, And over the next 12 episodes, I will be talking to people who are chasing success in fields where success is very elusive, people who are chasing their passions. I'll be talking to a major league baseball prospect, a women's professional soccer player in Europe, a professional photographer, a first-time restaurant owner, a screenwriter, a video game writer, all sorts of different people. I'm I'm very excited about the whole thing. I've conducted most of the interviews already, and, and I think there is something to be gleaned from all of them. So the idea for this show basically came from the fact that I looked around the podcast landscape and I saw that there was no lack of content talking to people who've already kind of climbed the mountaintop, who now have the added benefit of hindsight in talking about how they got there. But I was more interested in talking to people who are kind of amid that climb, who are kind of chasing after something right now, who are in the thick of it, in the day-to-day grind, where they don't you, you almost don't have time to look up and really take uh, take account of what you've done so far and and what you are doing because you are so busy trying to get to the top of the mountain. So the idea for this basically came from the fact that every time I'm around one of these people, I chew their ear off. <laughs> I, I just want to know so much about what keeps them going, what how did they get into this, and, and what, what kind of success looks like for them. And that is something I will be talking to each and every one of these people about. We'll be talking about how they got their start, uh, why they chose to go after something so difficult, what their idea of success is, and, and where they kind of found the irrational confidence to to jump feet first into this. So a, a little bit about myself. I am a law student and writer for Parcast Podcast Network. Uh, I have written some screenplays that uh, <laughs> don't matter. <laughs> and I, I just am someone who has been fascinated for a long time about the idea of kind of grinding in the dark while, while you chase something more conventional. And a lot of these people that we will talk to have day jobs. They, they are going after this stuff kind of on the side, but but it, it is still a very real passion for them. And I, I think that there is something to be gleaned from every one of these interviews. They, these people all have very interesting stories and they, they all have all, like very differing paths to, to what it is they're doing, but each one of them kind of had to have a, a sort of confidence to jump into something that they knew had a very low likelihood of success and now they are thriving or they're, they're, they're getting close, um, all of them. And it is very exciting uh, to, to have been able to talk to these people amid their climb. So my hope is that you guys will be able to learn something over the course of this and, and take something away from it. Um, I, I talked myself out of this a million times. I, I have no radio background. Uh, and the idea that I would just sit down and make a podcast is, is pretty wild to, to, to me. Um, but the more that I talk to these people, the more my resolve kind of hardened. And, and the more I, I realized that if I was going to do it, uh, I, I just had to jump into it. So I started doing the interviews and I recorded most of them already. And now I've been uh, re-recording this intro probably 27 times because I suck. <laughs> um, but I, I'd like to think that this show will get better. Um, that, that one day I will look back at these early episodes and think, wow, I, I, I got bad. I, I know that there's going to be some sort of learning curve. And, I, and my hope is that you guys will kind of come along for the ride. And by the end of the season, you'll you'll see that the show does grow. It kind of finds its footing. So thank you to all three of you listening. I'm sure multiple people already turned it off by now. They didn't know they were getting in for a monologue. Uh, but this is our first episode with Los Angeles Angels prospect, pitching prospect, Max Herman. Uh, Max joined us all the way from Arizona. Um, and here we go. Thank you. 
Hello, I am here with Max Herman, pitching prospect for the Los Angeles Angels. Hey, Max, thanks for joining us today. Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's going good. Uh, Max is presently in spring training in Tempe, Arizona. Um, how how is Tempe, Arizona? It's uh, surprisingly not that nice today. The weather's kind of really windy. I guess there's a big storm in the coast. Um, but you know, other than that, it's great to be out here. Love love this place, and uh, always a pleasure to be speaking with you. It's uh, it's about twenty five degrees here, so you're gonna get no sympathy from me. Uh, but <laughs> but we'll get into it right off the bat. Uh, so you you kind of know the the concept of the show. I'm I'm talking to people who are chasing success in fields that are very difficult to break through in, and I think baseball qualifies because at one point or another, almost every kid wants to be a professional baseball player and. You are a professional baseball player right now. Um, so let's kind of start off with, uh, like, how old were you when you started playing? Uh, like, were, were you just always a beast at baseball? Uh, that's funny, actually. Uh, now I think back, I don't know. Um, I remember when I was, like, eight years old, and I had my rec spec sports goggles, and I was terrible and always crying. And my dad was, we were doing, like, coach pitch. And I was a hitter, and all I wanted to do was catch, and I was a lefty. <laughs> and he was like, you're not going to be a lefty catcher. You're a left-handed pitcher. You know, he always told me when I was younger. Uh, but I guess I, that didn't start clicking with me until and resonating, I guess, until I was like 11 or 12 years old. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I was okay. I was a, I, I liked playing sports in general. But what was, what was best for me is, I guess, my parents and my family, nobody like shoved baseball down, you know, and said, you got to do this. You have to play. And, I guess kind of explored it and uh, found found passion and joy in the game naturally. What what other sports did you play? Absolutely. Well, my uh, my favorite sport is basketball. Um, as you, we you know we've spoken in the past plenty of times about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm an avid basketball watcher, and uh, unfortunately, I do still play during the you know the off season. I play whenever I can, and uh, and also I played football too. And uh, in, in high school as well. So those three I played throughout high school. Oh, okay. That's very cool. So you were, you were a multi-sport athlete. I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a thing as much now in like the generation after us. Like my, my brother is a big lacrosse player and I, the, the, the vibe that I get from people is that now there's sort of a push to, to have kids play only one or two sports, uh, like at a young age for whatever reason. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Everyone's kind of like niche spe- uh, specific in, in terms of like what they're focusing on. People are playing sports all year round as opposed to kind of exploring themselves athletically and seeing, uh, you know, what kind of caliber of athlete they are and where their route's going to take them just kind of uh, in, a, in more of natural terms. That's, that's kind of like what I did. I didn't know what I was doing. I just loved going to play basketball and football and then kind of saw where I fit in as, as I went. But you're absolutely right. Uh, nowadays, people are doing this tournament and that tournament in the summer, having their parents drive them to Michigan and, you know, doing whatever it takes to get that scholarship, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So, so you're, um, at, like at, at what point when, when you're playing little league baseball, does it become clear you're, you're kind of, you're, you're a cut above Was it even little league or did it happen a little later? Hey, you know what? I actually did. Um, this is a common trend for me, but I don't know if this was uh, the same for you guys. But I did an extra year in Little League. I think about in 2000 and, oh, geez, 2002 or three maybe, they were allowed 12-year-olds to have, or, you know, 12-year-olds to have that fifth season mm-hmm. if they weren't 12 yet. Um, and that's where I kind of, like, took a step above in Little League and, like, was one of the better players and made the, all the all-star teams and won the, 
town championship and I was like, oh, wow, all right, like, I like this, you know, <laughs> but that's kind of the time, I guess, growing up where, you know, I really uh, started to kind of kick it into gear, but, um, you know, it's just Little League baseball. Nobody, everyone's a hero in Little League, and, you know, half the kids you don't even hear from after, so uh, it, it, it happens more so throughout those high school and those uh, junior, uh, you know, the middle school years, really. So, so when did when did you first start pitching? I know you said your dad was was from the jump, like you're a lefty pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad and so my brother plays uh, professionally too, um, currently and has played for a while. But basically, we would you know I was holding a, a palm ball, I think back in in little league. I was holding my fastball like a palm ball. He goes, <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, you got five fingers on it. You're never going to fill the ball hard or, or accurately. So we worked on grips and stuff like that, uh, but. That's just the evolution. It kind of turned into a much bigger thing where I've I've been kind of taking the guidance of my brother and kind of trying to follow. Um, I wouldn't say in his footsteps because we've had completely different paths, but just kind of take what, uh, his wisdom and seeing what he's done and try to turn it into my own. But just to kind of answer your question, um, I would say, you know, middle school, uh, eighth grade and even high school. I had a great high school coach who my brother also had as well. And he kind of was like, pumping me up and saying like listen you know you're you're tall you have room to grow you're kind of lanky like let's try this pitching thing out and have you throw hard and, and see what you could do in four years and maybe you can get a scholarship or you know even get into a, a better college out of it were, were you watching uh, like a lot of baseball as a kid yeah so growing up um i would come home from um, my baseball practice or from school that day and at five o'clock, uh, we'd immediately have my brother's game on. Uh, it would be like Lake County Captains versus the—I I don't even know. Like, um, I guess the team in who's the team in New Jersey? Uh, the Lakewood Blue Claws. It's low A baseball, and the announcers are all—you know—all into it. And we just would sit there. My mom would have her rosary beads, and we would just pray and, and listen to this guy That's give us hilarious. a rundown on on how intense you know, the outing was and all these details. And these are 22 year old announcers. They have no idea what they're doing. And we're just sitting there hoping and praying on what they're saying. So, so how, uh, how yeah, much older, how much older is your, how much older is your brother than you? Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a brother and a sister. We're all uh, five years apart. So my brother's about nine years and my sister's about four and a half, five, oh, okay. I believe. So, yeah. So I was able to watch him play in his first year of uh, pro ball when I was about you know, 11 or 12, I believe. That's yep, incredible. Right about that. So, yeah. And ever since then, you know, I've kind of just been, as you mentioned, it, it, baseball is always in the picture, uh, always following it, always listening to it, you know, always trying to take that next step and, you know, jump up a level, as I like to say. So did you have like a, a favorite pitcher to watch that you tried to sort of model yourself after, like aside from your brother, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't watch them that much, honestly, because they were playing in like the Midwest and I was going to school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, I, we were just listening to the games. Didn't have that kind of technology in 2005, six, seven. Yeah. Um, but I, I really liked uh, like Billy Wagner, Johan Santana. I was like an avid Mets fan kind of growing <laughs> up. And I'm right there. With back you. when they had some <laughs> back when they had some good teams. Uh, you know, hey, we're, we're I, I really like those Don't put guys us down like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It'll be all right. And they were all right within the, when the dark night in, in, I think, 2015, too. So yeah, that's yeah. fine. But uh, um, I, I really enjoyed going home watching, like, those guys. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the Mets had, some, the Mets had some, the some, good, some good lefties on, on those teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
any any baseball really uh, i liked watching like as much as we you probably don't like them but the braves like that reign <laughs> of like those three pitchers that they had i think it was glavin um you know jeez oh, the names are escaping me now but smoltz um yeah john smoltz and, like, i, uh, I i'm always guy. interested to to see how kind of how people who go after these kind of things that it always starts sort of young at least i've noticed yeah and it's like they they look to different people like the, the people that they look to when they're young i'm always so interested in because those people like whether we want it to be or not they, they kind of become the models after which we kind of chase absolutely and just to kind of like build off that i guess like i didn't always think like i'm gonna be a, a high school baseball player i'm gonna be a college baseball player i'm gonna play in the pros like i was just kind of gradually trying to get a little bit better every year a little bit better at something whether it be throw a little bit harder or throw a few more strikes or learn a change up which i learned my senior year of college like that probably <laughs> helped me get to the professional levels like it's it's those little um minor changes those uh, little atomic habits it's a little book i was reading like those little changes those little uh, ways of keeping yourself consistent and just trying to level up each year or each month that really helps kind of make that you know vision down the line possible i, I think that's sort of an important idea that, that you're kind of a lot of times people who are going after these things, they think it's almost impossible in the abstract to improve to the level at which like they could possibly do this thing professionally. But, but like you're saying, it's really these incremental movements that, that are the difference between the people who turn away uh, early and who, who, who are still kind of pushing through it. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency and the small changes. So, you know, not trying to be someone you're, you're not. So if you're, I don't know about other uh, jobs or careers, but, in mind like i'm not gonna say hey uh, i saw some submarine pitcher throwing today like you know that looks like an easy way to get there i guess i'll just drop my arm slot down and <laughs> start slinging it yeah and then you're in the backyard trying to you know do that with a wiffle ball like, it's that's not like a realistic path a realistic path is taking what you have and understanding who you are as an athlete and as a baseball player and trying to just you know maximize that and be the best possible you i know that sounds kind of corny everyone's saying that <laughs> no, nowadays no, no. but but it's it's you know being the best possible version or pitcher of yourself so so now now you're in high school uh you've, you've been pitching a while were, were you were you dominant there or or was it like sort of a slow slow going where was an incremental slow slow flashes i yeah I, I showed flashes i would beat like a top team in the state like a west essex and you don't know these teams but, uh, <laughs> like a team like a team i'm dropping northern new jersey let's get into this is the official new jersey baseball podcast yeah yeah let me run you down a few (laughs) a few uh, old names too now um i showed flashes i was um i was pretty good i was pretty athletic and i would shut down like a top team in the state out of nowhere and then i would find myself like not crying on the mound but like moaning and being all (laughs) upset and pissy about you know strikes and balls with the umpire against some you know inner city team where i'm just like (laughs) way better than you know so i was yeah. uh, inconsistency was was big at first but uh you know i had a i had a bunch of good teammates and uh, coaches that, that definitely helped me with that but most importantly my my parents and we go home you know, debrief the game you know, get up and relax kind of get a game plan for the next time out and kind of fell into that routine by myself throughout the years but i would definitely say that i was inconsistent my freshman sophomore year and my junior and senior year, I kind of stepped out of my shell and pitched big in, in big games. So that kind of put me on the map. 
Oh, that's awesome. So, so you said that your your parents would break down the games with you and kind of formulate game plans going forward. Yeah, and what I mean by that isn't like they wouldn't sit down and say, "Hey, Max, you got to go one two slide on this <laughs> four batter." That'd be wild. I mean, my my mom would say stuff to me like, "You know, you're walking around the mound. Your body language is bad. Believe in yourself." Like these things really even apply today. Like. If you get put into like a, a group with younger guys and you know you're older in professional baseball and spring training, you're like, damn, like I'm better than these guys. Why did they put me in this group? You know, yeah. like because that stuff that's kind of just like teetering, trying to figure out where you're at. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I think about stuff like that where uh, you know you gotta pick your body up, relax, and just realize you know just get through this day, like move on, you know, get past it, and you know those little things like that is what i meant by breakdown i mean like we went into the details of the game but no but i, I, you know, I think that's important definitely really help i think that's important especially for for a pitcher because pitching is so much of it is solitary for as much as baseball is a team sport pitching in, in and of itself is is almost like tennis where you you are out there vulnerable uh whether it be whether you're dominating or or you're getting lit up it's it just it's a good you kind of have to if you if you want a, a pitcher or a young a young kid to kind of be able to hang for for the rest of their baseball career you kind of have to instill that that don't hang your head don't don't show too much emotion because otherwise it'll it's just too up and down yeah if you want to if you want to find yourself as a person um the the pitching mound is great because the (laughs) the (laughs) amount of the amount of stuff um that wanders through my head from the fact that like you know i'm in the middle of iowa yeah. <laughs> I can hear this guy selling peanuts. I can see that there's 15 people in the stands. I'm freezing. Uh, my future's on the line. Like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the amount of things that kind of wander through your head within that three seconds of getting the ball back from the umpire and getting towing back, towing the rubber and getting back on the mound is insane. And like you mentioned, this game is just tons of peaks and valleys. So you're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. You throw three scoreless against, you know, the Astros affiliate, the best affiliates that usually have the best minor leagues. Yeah. So three scoreless, five scoreless against the Astros. You're like, I'm the best. I'm feeling great. You walk into the locker room, you're all happy. The next time you go back out there, you face the Oakland A's, you know, kind of the bottom. Um, and you let up six and you can't get through the first inning and they got to call another guy up just to get through your outing, you know, yeah. and you're, you know, you're up and down. So you have to find that kind of mental, uh, strength to to be in the middle of, of those of those two highs and lows at all times. Well, from the sound of it, it, it sounds like you're not necessarily putting it together until putting it fully together, at least until your later years of high school kind of prepared you for that. And that there there are a lot of guys who kind of from wire to wire they they are like the best pitcher in their little league, then the best pitcher in their high school, and then they get to they get to the minors or the majors, and they they're getting shelled, and they don't necessarily know how to how to come back from from that bad outing if you know what i mean yeah and you're absolutely right and i'll bring it back to my earlier years like i never got sh- i <laughs> i guess i knew i was good because i never got shelled <laughs> I, sh- I i i would be killing myself like i would yeah. be out there i can't tell you how many times i don't want to sound like a baby but how many times i have cried on the mound not not in high school maybe like seventh you know seventh grade eighth grade down not maybe not even eighth grade but seventh grade down like cry or like tears on the mound, little league. Like, and I think a lot of that is being, you know, probably being a little bit immature and being a baby. The other part of that though, is the part you can't really teach. And that's having passion. Yeah. It's like the want, the want to, to do well. 
And if I was out there and I was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, oh, ball four, another guy walks in. You know, that guy that comes in in relief and pitches in the 10-1 game in literally that doesn't really care. He's not really a pitcher. He doesn't really care. It's the yeah. guy like early, you know, in those middle school days that really is trying as hard as he can. And, you know, the coach is like, just throw strikes. And you're like, that's not going to do anything. Like, that doesn't help. <laughs> but, um, you know, I could tell that I always cared about the game and I always really wanted it to be good. But it, it was definitely in my earlier years that I was very immature. And I definitely was pretty immature even leading into, you know, my first year of college. I'd, I'd love to get into later, yeah. um, you know, in terms of like how my development went on. So, so at what point in high school did did it become like a, a possibility that you were going to be a Division One baseball player? Actually, there was a defining moment. Actually, uh, it's funny that you asked that. Um, I was pitching against this team called West Arms. They were number one in the county. We were fifteen. We were terrible, and they were really <laughs> good. And I went. Uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, and like for some reason, like tons of like NJ Advanced Media was there. Oh wow! And I had I had like fourteen strikeouts and like beat this team like and this <laughs> tournament's called the greater the greater newark tournament it's like all the best teams in the county and we were like the like it's like a 15 seed versus a two seed or a 16 versus a one wow. and i just like shut them down and it was like i had the, i still have like the the newspaper articles from it not that i look at i don't look at it <laughs> <I just laughs> yeah say, no I, never i remember never. i never once in a while no <laughs> I vividly remember like um you know like some some article highlights and and doing some like actual video uh, interviews for the first time after the game and like it's like oh wow this is like a big deal <laughs> yeah and then I noticed uh, like college coaches pay attention to that stuff they don't care about like the accolades they care about like the big games those tournament games who's pitching who's striking guys out making a name and that was the kind of t- first time I really put myself on the board uh, or put myself out there and. I guess to answer your question, that was my moment where I like, you know, really started scratching the surface oh, wow. and thought and started hearing from uh, I got invites to showcases. So that was the biggest thing. You know, you see guys now that pay thousands of dollars for showcases to go to whether it's a lacrosse showcase, soccer showcase, to be seen with another a bunch of other people paying five hundred dollars to be seen by college coaches. You know, yeah. And uh, these were free. These were come to the showcase. This was, this was five, six years, seven years ago, whatever it was come to the showcase. Like we want to create a good product for these coaches. Now they pay the coaches and then they charge the, the people to come to the games. The, the, the whole game has changed. It really yeah. has. So, so um, you were, you played football in high school as well, right? Wasn't it, wasn't it kind of up in the air? What, what which one you would do in, in college? Yeah, it, it was definitely leaning towards baseball, especially when towards my later years of high school, when uh, the um, t- team started offering scholarships and I started going places and seeing the places I could have went um, like in t- with with what with the grades I had. And the, um, I was a lefty throwing by 85. So I had a few offers. So that was a really exciting time. But I wouldn't say it was up in the air, but I did have some interest from from some smaller D1 schools, uh, specifically Lafayette, Lehigh, and Towson. Um, definitely had contact with the coaches. And um, now that I think about it, I got hey, one contact to me through Facebook, which I don't think that's allowed, but I remember that as well. But Did, did you just cause um, a recruiting scandal? Yeah, look into it. No. <laughs> major, major, major breakthrough for the podcast. You're not saying what you're just saying. <laughs> Connect the dots. Um, yeah, no, it was a interesting little... Uh, short-lived recruiting process with football. I was a pretty good uh, 
sure-handed receiver, a little slow, but like, <laughs> you know, caught everything. And my team was really good. And we had a bunch of D1 guys. So I was also thrown into the mix of people that they would see, you know? Yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you end up at, at Rutgers? Interesting. Well, first I went to Rhode Island. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know um, that. So Rhode Island offered me a fifty or sixty percent scholarship, so almost like twenty six thousand dollars, I believe, or maybe it was fifty for twenty. I don't remember, um, but that was a pretty hefty amount. Yeah, definitely. Which was great, you know. It's like, oh yeah, you're giving me a fifty percent scholarship, but more, they're showing an investment in me, and I, and, I, and I appreciated that too. I think my family did too. We kind of jumped to it. Uh, beautiful school, you know. Uh, Never thought I was going to go there growing up. Never knew much about it, but more looked into it and visited there. Felt like the coaches liked everything, and I went there. And I guess this is the story I was telling you about, um, or I said I was going to tell you about. Yeah, your first year. I went there, and yeah, I was absolutely out of it. I was like, "Where am I?" Like, all these <laughs> kids are, have, have Boston accents, like thick Boston <laughs> accents. They have they have beards, and I'm just like this, like you know peach-haired um, kid lefty from New Jersey that no one was really talking to. But um, eventually I kind of, uh, I kind of, you know, made some friends there and had a pretty good fall where I like threw for them and was in the picture uh, to play in the spring. We were opening up against Florida State on ESPN, so it was a big deal. Oh, wow. Um, and then uh, I guess what happened was I got a little bit like away from myself and like I said, immaturity kind of settled in and I kind of forgot how to like play catch and throw the baseball and was a little wild and then didn't even get back on the mound um, because we were outside. It was 15 degrees. It's Rhode Island. was really cold. Didn't get back on the mound till like April and it was just really behind in my development. Didn't end up pitching the entire year. Um, wow. The coaches weren't really happy with me. They, you know, they gave me a lot of money, sat me down at the end of the year and said, hey, like uh, we're going to have to take back that scholarship. So there I was, like, at University of Rhode Island. They took my $50,000. They're going to make me pay $42,000 a year at the school, like, that I didn't necessarily even, like, want to go to, especially if there was no baseball or no baseball scholarship. And I'm like, do I even play baseball? I, I was terrible for them. I can't play Rhode Island. Like, where else am I going to play? And I, I just couldn't believe it I, where, where I was at. I was going to definitely up in the air if I was going to continue to play baseball at that point. So what was, what, was, sure. what was the swinging moment for you? Yeah, the swinging moment was my dad. And he, um, well, well, they, Rhode Island had hooked me up with this summer ball team in Hamptons, in the Hamptons. And that was like a breakthrough for me. And my dad was like, listen, I know this guy. He wants to, like, he saw you in high school a lot. He wants to work with you. So it was a pitching coach. Um, and he, like, you know, worked with me a little bit. I started throwing hard again start throwing strikes and my dad was like give this a shot like i was getting anxiety about pitching it's the best way to put it i was so really? nervous about it that's how i was like yeah that's i was it was a terrible thing i was at rhode island like give it a shot go pitch at this this team that they hooked you up with in the hamptons league it's summer baseball you know what's the worst that could happen if you don't like it you come home and i went there and had like a 1.5 era like 30 appearances and like killed it, did great. <laughs> and then like the middle of the year, I was so happy. I didn't even, and I think why I was so happy is because I wasn't even thinking about stats or anything. I was just out there pitching again, and having a good time. And this is all about, you know, the, the part of your podcast is, um, I guess the point of it is, and tell me if I'm wrong, is how like, the struggle or like, you know, how hard it is to 
to make it in your specific niche um, market or sport or whatever it is. You're absolutely right. And this story just kind of is deliberate. Like I'm deliberately telling you the story because it's, there was a defining point where I was like, I'm not going to play anymore. Like this is it. I was like 18 years old. I was like, that stinked. This is, I mean, they just caught me. And I just went to this league on a whim. You know, they hooked, hooked me up with it and dominated and Rutgers happened to be there. And I'm like a New Jersey guy through and through. You know how much I love Rutgers. <laughs> yes, you do. We just lost. We just lost in the Big Ten tournament a minute ago. I was really upset about that. But, um, yeah, so I went uh, and Rutgers happened to be there. And they were like, hey, we recruited you in high school. Like you went to Rhode Island. You stood us up because I did. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I, I had like a bunch of offers at a, a high school and I didn't go to Rutgers initially. And they're like, well, what are you doing? Like, are you playing Rhode Island or like, where are you at now? And I was like, I'm begging you. <laughs> I was like, I'm begging you. Like, like, give me a shot to walk on your team. Like, they're like, we don't have any money. Like, we couldn't have you as a player because you're a scholarship player. Like, we don't have any money for you. I was like, let me just walk on. I just want a chance to walk on to the squad. Um, you know, not like looking for anything more than that. Um, they're like, well, we don't have any scholarship money, but, you know, we see you throw one more time. We can think about it. And they, they ended up seeing me throw one more time. And I uh, threw great. And they, they bought me on that in that fall. And, you know, I took off at Rutgers and had a pretty solid career there. That's so cool. I mean, you're definitely right. That that whole moment where, uh, from from the people that I've already spoken to and who I will continue to talk to, I think there is a common theme that there are these moments where early on, especially, uh, people could have walked away. They they sort of ran into a brick wall and they they either they banged through it or or they tried to go around. But uh, whereas many people, uh, they they probably just turned back. So there there are people who in your position at Rhode Island almost certainly would have just crumbled in that thing. And and I think pitching is is like I legitimately think the the psychology of pitching is one of the most interesting things in the world. So like. The, the, the idea that you, you kind of were experiencing this anxiety and when we're kind of broken, like your mechanics were broken and, and you, you basically just were like, screw this. I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to, I'm going to fix, fix what's broken. And you came back and just dominated. It's, it's really an awesome story. It, it is. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, you summed it up. I wish I just said what you said. It did take so long. But yeah. <laughs> you, you nailed you, <laughs> your summary. Your summary kind of nailed it. I was trying to give you some good, uh, juicy insight, but yeah, no, no, no it was, it was, it was good. a struggle struggle hit a wall and kind of overcame it and there's been tons of hurdles in my career and that was definitely the biggest and the earliest one i, I faced definitely so so at, at what point does the prospect of professional baseball become a thing uh well uh Rutgers was uh, i guess we were in the american conference so we were small but we were playing like louisville UCF, USF, a lot of warm uh, schools. Yeah. And that was that first year. So the next year after I went to Rhode Island, like the, that first year I was a walk-on at Rutgers. I became, I was um, like closing and throwing like all the important games uh, in relief. I was relief only. And I was throwing really well. And, you know, that summer I went to my first uh, real like college summer baseball league, like prospect league. And, <clears throat> you know, I was getting tons of mail, um, Oh, let me not lie there. I was getting some mail from like, you know, four or five teams yeah. that were like, you know, fill out questionnaires. There were, there's always scouts in baseball. Always. No matter where you go, there's scouts. D1, D2, D3, Juco, Hofstra, Rutgers, you name it. There are scouts there. Um, they cover everything. So 
you always know that if you throw well, if you're a lefty, if you're hitting 88, 91, 92, and throwing strikes and you're showing off-speed pitch, I don't want to get too technical here, but no, no. <laughs> if you have the tools, if you have the tools, then it's always there. So the prospect kind of came real for me that first year when I had a pretty good year. That, that, that's that's very cool. So so now now you finish up at Rutgers, um, and are you are you going on like tryouts or? Uh-huh. My first, um, uh, this is actually a funny one. My first, I did my first year at Rhode Island and did three years at Rutgers. So I graduated my undergrad in four years. I had a fifth year. I was like, all right, like maybe I'll come back. Maybe I'll play like my fifth year. Like I'm not sure. You know, I had a pretty good year the year before. It was like, okay. I talked to my college coach. He was like, well, if you want to play in this summer, New Jersey league, it's low key. Like you just get your innings, keep your arm going in case you want to come back in the fall and play that fifth year so it was like three week period where i wasn't sure if i was going to play again for that fifth year because i didn't get drafted and i didn't get signed after my uh my fourth year of college so um my coach said hey i'll give you uh i'll hook you up with like a ta job uh (laughs) we'll increase your we'll increase your scholarship and um you know you could work at like grading papers too for like you know the, the athletic community like, um, you know, I don't know how to put it, but like, no, it was like a TA, another, yeah, a couple TA jobs. Um, <clears throat> but he basically juiced it up and I was like, all right, yeah, I'll come back. For That's a honeypot deal. That's a honeypot deal. Yeah. Yeah. I was making money in my last year at Rutgers. <laughs> so, um, oh. which kind of made up for that first year where I had to walk on, but none, nonetheless, I was, uh, just kind of sitting around by my pool actually, um, with my girlfriend, Eric at the time. And we, uh, and we were just hanging out. And I remember that specific time I was looking at, her, I was like, I got a text. I was like, I was like, they want me to go play in the Cape Cod league. And I was like, she's like, what? She's like, we're having such a good time. Like just hanging out for like the first summer. I wasn't sure if I was going to play baseball. Like we both just graduated and I got a text to go play in the Cape Cod league. And literally the next night I was in front of five or five or six or four or 5,000 fans. Like, um, you know, at, at this like, uh, Eldridge park, I believe it was in Massachusetts. It's like a famous Cape Cod. Uh, if you ever seen the movie, uh, the Cape Cod movie, geez, what's it called? Uh, Summer Summer Catch. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's basically was that. <laughs> just, I went from pitching at a high, backfield high school field against like a couple like washed up college guys to playing. In, you know, I have one more year of eligibility. There was four hundred. You know, there was about four thousand people there with about a hundred scouts and agents watching, and that's when everything got real. That's when I was like. All right, like if I do well here and have a pretty good senior year, maybe I can get signed, you know. And that's that's when it all kind of got legitimized. Was there was there a point? Was was there even the idea in your head when you first get that call about Cape Cod that, that you wouldn't go, or was it like as soon as you get that call, you're like, I'm I'm going there. Yeah, I called my brother right away. I was like, I gotta do this, right? I just, <laughs> I just need that. I just need verification here, but I probably should do this. Um, no, it was like, um, you know. I was just kind of chilling that summer and hanging out. And then I realized that this is a great opportunity for me and maybe a sign, you know, like I should probably take advantage of it. Yeah. And I did that. And then and, and there was no doubt this was after the coach had made that offer. So I was probably coming back anyway for baseball that fifth year. Yeah. So it all kind of came together there. So, so now you go back to school for a fifth year and are, do you, uh, do you get signed after that? Yeah, I went back for my fifth year. I had a great senior year. Um, 
Uh, a lot of saves, a lot of appearances. It was healthy. Was pitching on like Big Ten Network and a few other games where I was throwing like um, up like up to ninety two. Um, yeah, TV radar guns might have said ninety three, but that's probably not right. I don't throw that hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll take it. No, um, so they. I think I think I had a pretty good year, and uh, I was waiting around the draft. I heard from a, a couple teams. I threw at the Phillies. I threw at the Yankees. Um, I threw for the Orioles, and I but threw I, for I, the I just want to stop right right here. Uh, how what was it like throwing at, at Yankee Stadium? Because I mean, but that's so basically that's basically a dream Yankee, of most people. Yeah, not Yankee Stadium. I did I did their I did their minor league field, but I threw at. Um, PN, PNC, what's the Phillies? PNC, PNC I believe. PNC, right? still. You threw yeah, on the major that, league mound. Yeah, still. That's still like an yeah, everyone's no, childhood awesome. dream. Yeah, that was awesome. And that was really cool here. You don't even realize that at the time, but you see a bunch of like 18-year-old kids because there's high school kids and that's how the uh, MLB draft works. But you see somebody, 24-year-old, you know, grizzly bearded guy <laughs> from like South Carolina. You're like, where the heck am I? This is insane. But um. Yeah, it was it was something else. It was surreal and um, being out there and um, you know just your, your body kind of just goes into like um, it's the best way to put it like autopilot. You know, yeah. like it just muscle memory here. You got so much adrenaline, you can't really hear anything or like slow down. But you have <laughs> to be able to bottle up that adrenaline when you're pitching and look calm and feel calm when you're pitching. But um, I think I was able to do that pretty well that day. But I threw for those teams and kind of sat around for the draft. And I'm not going to lie to you, I stared at my phone the entire day and watched every single pick. And I must have known about three, you know, between playing five years of baseball, five years of college and three years of uh, four years of summer baseball and seven different teams in summer baseball. I was like, I know about 250 of these kids. I'm like, come on, you got to call me. Let's go. <laughs> for I just want to stop. I want to stop here real quick. <laughs> like for, for people who don't necessarily know about the MLB draft, it is long. Like it is really long. It's so, so <laughs> for you to sit. Rounds, yeah, yeah. So, so for you to sit around like watching every pick is insane. It's not like the NFL draft where it's a couple hours and they're out. It is like a day long. Yeah, I was panicking. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like sitting there texting. I'm like texting Erica. I'm texting my like family and uh, my brother. I'm like, hey, come on, they gotta call me. It's round 35. You know, <laughs> I got a text from the Yankees in the 36th round. Uh, uh, congrats, Max. You're up! Exclamation point. Oh my god. And I was like, oh, I was like, all right. I told you this story. I think once before, but um, I and I was like, all right. Like this is great. Like this is it. And I'm staring there. I'm like, well, they're going to call me. Come on. Let me see you put it up on the big board here. Because you can watch a ticker and they like post it where you're from, everything. I'm like, MLB Network, like on TV and all that. And um didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> That's insane. And then, <laughs> and then the scout, the scout texts me five minutes later. He goes, um, sorry, like, or, I, I, geez, I, I used to have it. I wonder what it said. Something. It was like I was really respectfully, you know. I, it's baseball. I understand how it works. I was like, they went with somebody else. Um, it, it was supposed to be you. Um, stay by your phone. We're gonna be signing guys the next few days. I was like, all right, I'm fine. I didn't get drafted, but I'm fine. Like three weeks went by, and I finally threw for the Angels at Rutgers with my coach and uh, one of my college catchers through well and like within a week they reached back out to me finally and was like you know we're gonna sign you you're gonna be going to the azl in arizona um congratulations and stay tuned for like you know flight information within like a day or so i was out of there 
that's that's jeez, oh, that's where it all yeah. <laughs> so was, so what are, a, what are you doing? Wild ride. What are you doing for those three weeks? Yeah, like, I, those three weeks, I was I remember I actually this is the craziest thing I was playing in a men's league, a men's <laughs> league that is <laughs> on insane. high school mound. This is all real. I'm not giving you all this all the details today. Um, I was playing in a men's league in high school high school mounds. Um, all dirted fields, like with like people up to the age of forty, and I was also hitting too. I was like, "Let's roll!" Like, let's see <laughs> if somebody's gonna call me. They're gonna call me. But then I got I got that uh, chance to throw with the Angels, and um, you know, I, I was just going there to play, like throw a couple innings here and there, keep my arm moving. Yeah. But I think I threw with the Angels, and I threw you know pretty well, and um, they signed me. So so now now you're a professional baseball player. You are in uh, what, what level? What level did you start in? This this would be year three, um, the spring training number two, year three. I did rookie ball last year. I did um, A ball and got an early call up to high A to do like a spot relief. And the same thing happened in the middle of the year. I got a call to double A. Um, then came back after like a week or so to low A. So um, I am now in as I mentioned, my third year. And, you know, ideally I want to be at like the high A, double A level this year at age uh, 25. That's where you want to be knocking on the door in the major leagues by 26. I mean, everyone gets hot at different times. Yeah. Um, but the average like pitcher and relief pitcher, you know, um, American guy is about 25, 26. No. Okay. So this is a big year for sure. Very cool. Um, so, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, about last year. You you were in Low A, and you're you're playing in. Were you in Iowa? I was in Iowa, and I was living in Illinois, <laughs> living in a different state, going over a bridge with a host family. Um, they were great. I love them. Um, they were an older host family, and they had no Wi-Fi, no nothing. <laughs> So uh, I had were me you and my iPad and that was it. And was <laughs> were nuts. you there? Were you their first uh, like player they've hosted, or do they do it every year? No, they've been doing it for five years. They've had a couple of major leaguers too. So, really? You know? Yeah. So like, I mean, for people who, who don't know, like minor league baseball, it, it's not uh, it's not the glamorous life of of like the major league player. There, people like these players are staying with host families. It, it's it's a it's a grind, and there is there's an Instagram account that we've talked about in the past, the the minor league grinders. Uh, I think it's minor league grinders. It, it's yes, good. we're on that a bunch. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> and the, <best. laughs> the whole the whole point of the account is basically it just shows the the not necessarily glamorous life of minor leaguers. It's an incredible follow. Everyone should follow it. What's something that you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning? Wow. Well, I guess um, the guys who get money. They're really important. Everybody else, <laughs> you're kind of just out there on your own, and um, you're 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 just trying to make ends meet and also play a baseball game every night. So uh, that's the biggest thing. I like I didn't really understand. I was like, oh wow, they got signed or they got drafted in the ninth round. None of that means anything unless you were somebody who um, was given like lots of money by the organization because then they invested more in you, so they care a lot about you. So yeah, while my life wasn't glamorous i was still going out to the baseball field every night in front of you know thousands of people and playing a game and signing autographs like that part was really cool was but it what, as did, opposed to having 
Yeah, uh, was, was it still? It's okay. Uh, was it still? Was it still fun? Like throughout the summer? I mean, I, that seems like an obvious question because yeah. it's playing baseball. But oh, it, no, it it's like yeah. the minor league baseball to me is is basically like they they're trying to uh, see who who can who has it. Like if you know what I mean, where who is willing to sacrifice and, and live with host families yep. and and right. grind it out. Yeah. And, and that, that there's a whole like different world. It's basically a whole different world. And and I'm always so so interested by the people who are kind of down there grinding it out. Yeah, there's a reason why they pay 600k as a minimum uh, when you get out of the minor leagues. I mean, it's worth it. You you go through a lot of suffering and a lot of enduring, um, but it's not all that bad. We, they feed us really well. Um, they give us somewhere to live for free. At least at last year's level, they do. Um, the pay isn't really that great, obviously, um, but we're not really spending much because we're at the field from 12 to 12, really 12 to 10. Um, but what's what's my day? What's the hard part of my day? stretching and shaggy bp like i i that's where like you got to trick yourself like you get to the end of the year it's hot you've been doing it for six months you're like oh man this is a tough day like i didn't do well yet you're still at a baseball field people are coming to see you play and the hardest part of your day is to get on the stretching line and do the same stretch again like it's not that bad you know can, can you um, but there can is you, a lot of suffering can you walk us through a, a, a day like you said you were there for 12 hours oh yeah we walk right in and everyone's blasting music, blasting Fortnite clips from their their phones. <laughs> there's Spanish. There's um, there's you know people Venezuelans. There's Dominicans. There's everybody screaming different languages. Um, there's I think, I the think Americans. They all speak the same language. <laughs> yeah, I think they speak all Spanish. Yeah, no, I, think, <laughs> no I, I I I know that. I'm just saying, like you know, people you hear English, you hear Spanish, you hear yeah, clips. Yeah. It's loud. The locker room is loud. And there's no chill in there at all, really. <laughs> and you just want to kind of come in and grab some food. And at like 1.30, pitchers go out a little bit early to stretch on their own with the, like the strength coordinator. Everything is modified and everything is kind of uh, quantified and watched how you do it. And you can't just go out and do anything by yourself. You have to stick to their program because um, they're developing yeah. us. Quote, unquote, quote, unquote, developing. Did you have um, – oh, I'm but, sorry. I keep going. That was yeah. That was the kind of the structure of our day. Is we report to the field, eat some lunch, go out for an early practice, uh, come back in, go back out for batting practice, uh, get some treatment on our shoulders or elbows, and um, you know go back about 15, 20 minutes before the game, walk at walk to the bullpen, sign some autographs, and sit there and wait for your number to be called. You know, it's a yeah. A lot of sitting around, a lot of FaceTiming, calls home. Everybody misses their family. Yeah. You know, a lot of cards, people playing video games, you name it. Killing, I, mean, I have, I've mastered the art of killing time at this point. You know, I love it. <laughs> did, so did, did you have at any point like a sort of a, a welcome to professional baseball moment? Yeah, I think the first time I was on a bus and they were like, all right, well, great to have you here. Like, you're not active tonight. So um, we're going to need you to do the radar gun, bring the radar gun. <laughs> And this was in Arizona where it's like way more chill. There's no fans. It's like kind of like a, like a simulated game almost. It's like rookie ball. Yeah. Like bring the radar gun. Um, you, could, you sit on the bus. You could double up. I, I double up on the bus because I'm the new guy. And I had just guys screaming at each other. 18, 17-year-old uh, Dominicans and Venezuelans screaming at <laughs> each other on the bus about some argument in a different language. And I'm just in the middle of it. And there's only like two other Americans. And I'm like – 
where am I right now? Like, what the heck is happening? But uh, <laughs> it's just wild. And it's like, you know, it's culturally, you know, we share so much like love and, and joy for the game, like, you know, both sides. But I have like no true way of really conversing with them outside of like a high five, a hug, a handshake, <laughs> or, you know, like Google yeah. Translate, things like that. And these guys are the people that I was spending my first year here uh, spending, you know, hours on end with. So it was a really big eye opener, big welcome to pro ball that I completely forgot about after playing four years of college baseball with guys that were just like me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you've been at this for a couple of years um, and, and baseball is a little different than, than what a lot of like the people that I talk to do because baseball, you kind of have to restart every, every year to some degree. So I guess the question is, it, you, you love the game you've been playing it since you were a kid is it is each year going back is it is it easier or is it is it harder because it because you kind of start from you don't start from zero but but it's a, it's a restart yeah the longer I get in um, the longer a player gets tenured or, or is with um, the same organization it gets easier because you know the coaches you know the front office you know the culture and you know you know the players yeah so that's that's the easy part of it the hard part of it is if you have a big year the year before, if you have a bad year the year before, doesn't matter. You have to come back better than you did the last year or yeah. as good. There's no drop-offs. If I have a drop-off, I'm gone. It's just as simple as that. They have no money invested in me now other than what they pay me biweekly. So for me, it's it's really important that you remain consistent. That's the hardest part about this job. I saw guys who have been drafted as high as the 12th and 15th rounds. And I'm a non-drafted free agent sign, and I have lasted longer than them. As they were only with the organization for one year, and I was able to get into my my third year. So they do appreciate consistency in guys who's um, show it like an upward progression, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess I guess a follow-up question is: if have have you even considered if you weren't chasing baseball, if if you weren't doing this thing, what do you, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I actually past few off seasons, I've been, uh, creating a side kind of like path as well, which is in sales. Um, I did uh, tech sales, um, at a company where, you know, I was inside sales. I was selling, um, a software that inc- increases. I'm not going to get too into the weeds <laughs> about it, but <laughs> I'm not going to go into my sales pitch here, but, um, that's the way I kind of made some money in the off season along with, uh, doing some lessons too, for some kids in the local area. Um, I, I've been, you know, kind of bolstering that resume as well. Um, but I, I, would appreciate something in that kind of field and sales because, um, it kind of, you're easily able to emulate, you know, the personality and style of your life, which is competing, uh, into Ooh, I like uh, a that connection as well. I like that yeah, connection. So, hey, I've done a lot of, uh, interviews where I've been trying to get a job. So I, I got some <laughs> good lines, you know, <laughs> let me know if you ever need any. Um, all right. So, so now I, I didn't. I didn't tell you about this question ahead of time. Uh, I want you to to make the case for baseball in 2019 because everyone, everywhere you look, everyone shits all over baseball. I love baseball. You love baseball. T- tell me why baseball matters now. Oh, it matters. It matters. Once LeBron loses in the in the finals to the Warriors, he's not going through this year. <laughs> but once he loses to the Warriors in football, and once uh, NFL talks have begun have gotten so exhausted and this is right around June and NCAA March Madness is over and NCAA football is over. 
and everyone wants to go by the pool and barbecue, it matters because it's time. It's time to turn on the TV, <laughs> listen to those announcers you've been listening to for 20 years or however long you've been following your, your favorite team. And it's time to watch some baseball. Now, it doesn't compete on a star level as the NBA, but there's a reason why they have so much money and a, such a great organization uh, with never with very few lockouts and all that because of consistency. They put, always put a good product out there of good guys, with good young players, and even classy seasoned veterans, and they make a, a great style of baseball. I mean, it's not like a, an NFL game where you got to lock in for 16 games of the year, but it's always going to be there and it's always going to be on. And I bet you whether you want to or not, you're going to end up at three, maybe four Mets games this year. And you're going to say, wow, I just gave them, you know, probably $600, $600 this year. <laughs> and you're one of one of like, you know, a couple million people that are going to do that. So I'm, I'm baseball all will always be good. Yeah, baseball will always be good from a financial standpoint. And if you enjoy the game and watch every pitch and love the guy throwing, um, then that's great. But if you don't really try to put yourself out there, don't just watch it from a distance and realize that somebody throwing a 99 mile per hour fastball for a strike with a big breaking ball is easier. I mean, I'm sorry, it's 10 times harder than dunking a basketball. I could dunk a basketball with six. I'm a six, two white guy. I could dunk a basketball right now. Easily. There's like eight people on the planet that could throw 99 for a strike. So it's like, it may not look as sick, but you know, from a aesthetic aesthetic point, uh, being in the stands, hearing the crowd, you know, doing the wave if you're into that kind of thing. I'm not, you know, <laughs> eat, not a wave eat, guy. eating some not a wave guy. <laughs> put that on the record, but uh, eating some good food um, and kind of just taking the whole scene in as a background is nothing more American than it, and uh, that that's never going to change. So. I don't need to make the case for baseball. I think it makes, I, even though I made one, I think it makes a case every year and every summer. It's the best. Uh, and then playoff baseball is just, I think it's, it's just electric. unbelievable too. It's electric. Yeah. That, that was every a good sales matters. pitch. That was a good sales pitch. Yeah. You're, you're yeah, selling baseball maybe, now. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll hire me if, they, if uh, <laughs> pitching doesn't work out. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to give you this opportunity. What is something that you never get to talk about that you want to talk about here? You can be anything. Mm, I like that. Is that how you end all the conversations? Or oh no, I have like two. Good. I have like two more questions. Oh okay. All right. All right. I was just trying to get a gauge on the time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, anything I talk about? Um, are you a college football fan? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think the Big Ten is the best, um, the best college football conference, and it's not even close. And I know I'm biased, but I think the SEC, you know, sets the bar in the beginning and all that, but. Uh, I'd like to take on anyone who thinks otherwise. I just had this argument about it an hour ago, and this is how we keep ourselves. This is how we keep ourselves um, entertained in the bullpen, and with, when we're having with the same waking, same person every waking moment for about eight months. You know, like guys in the bullpen and uh, relievers and pitchers. You know, we see each other every day. We get into arguments, and this is what we talk about. So that'd be my go-to number one topic. But before before I get into my last two topics, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to to tell the world about your your Duke is good every time they have a point guard theory. Because at first I thought you were a maniac, but then looking at this season, I, I think you're right. I think that if, if they have a, if they have a point guard, they're like a, a legitimate championship contender. John Shire, Tyus Jones, Trey Jones, um, Jason Williams. 
Oh God, uh, Bobby, uh, oh, Bobby Hurley. You get those guys. You get someone at the realm to tame all the the five star recruits on the wings. Duke wins it all every year, <laughs> and we're gonna win it all again this year. But you you can bet on with it. or without Zion. Well, we're getting Zion back tomorrow. I got inside info, so we'll, he'll be ready to roll. <laughs> okay, okay. So so now now we'll get to our final couple questions. Um, what does success look like for you with this? Uh, with baseball? Yeah. Well, I feel successful already because um, I'm actually looking at it right now because I pulled it up before. I wanted to get this for you. But in, in baseball, um, the breakdown is that high school senior players who go on to play NCAA men's baseball are less than 3 and 50, so 5.6%. <laughs> and then the players that are drafted by the MLB team is less than 11 and 100, so roughly about like 10%. So ultimately – 0.5% of players who play baseball get played their professional level. So for me, I'm a big stats guy. That's <laughs> you a don't way say. Of, that's a way of, yeah, that's a way of measuring success. I feel like I, I've made it to a, a very high point and I'm very proud of that and I feel successful and I carry that with me. You know, every day I, I try to realize like, you know, even if I'm down or if I'm tired, I'm like, you are playing professional baseball. Guys, we killed to do this right now. You could, you could work when you're done. You could work when you're done. That's like my motto, my mantra, or whatever. Um, but a success would be to play in the big leagues. I mean, that would be something I would really love to do. It's, I've seen guys' faces when they get in, they've gotten, you know, the call or, or they they've gotten the call up one level to high A, you yeah. know, or double A. And I've gotten that call myself a couple times. And, and then brought back down, but you get that call, that real call when you move up, and it's just pure joy, excitement, and belief in yourself, and yeah, you're leveling up. And I don't mean to bring that back around, but we talked about that early on, leveling up, and that is just that's the mindset, you know, never stay the same. And um, I guess success would be leveling up for me and just keeping keep getting better. So I, I I'm happy to hear you you say that because you're you're talking about how you're in literally the, the top 1% of the top 1% in terms of people who play baseball every year. And, and I think the, the fact that even, even now you, you can find success in that speaks to, speaks to how you consider it. I think it's a, it's a healthy way of, of looking at it because you've already done more than literally almost, almost every person who plays baseball. And, and you're, you're talking about, you, t- you mentioned your age a couple of times and the idea that like you, you at how old are you? Are you 25? Yeah. So at 25, for the rest of your life, you will be like, I was, I was in spring training at 25 years old. You know what I mean? Like that. Like there is, there is value to being young and and chasing after these things. And that's kind of what what the whole show is about. Not necessarily being young, but chasing after these things. And and I think it's cool that you're already, you kind of already interpret that as success. Yeah, it's a chase. It really is. And yeah. I, oh, wow. I feel Look at you. Successful that. that that's well, that's the name really of the podcast. Is. It's hard. That's the name of the podcast. What is the chase? Oh wow! Look at that full circle. No, I really wow. didn't know. <laughs> that's great. No, it is. That's I. I appreciate that, and I think what you're doing is 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 really important too, because you're kind of helping us. If it's only for an hour, put it really all all of our work into perspective. So just to reassure ourselves that what we're doing is, you know, is is something that we love. You know, definitely. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm happy to talk to people about this stuff. I, I I like talking to people about this stuff even off mic. So that was basically the idea behind this was. Hey, you uh, love talking, and I love talking. <laughs> That's why we get along so well. You know? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so so now my my final question I ask of everyone. This is how I end the podcast. 
if you could put a message in a bottle to yourself five years from now, uh, it could be something you hope you don't lose sight of or just anything you don't want to forget, uh, what would it be? Ah, uh, man. Mine's so corny. Uh, no, it's um, good. I, it's good. I would say, I would say to, if I could give myself this like, you know, like 10 years ago or for five years from now. Five years from now. Five years from now. I'd say believe in, believe in yourself because, and, and the reason why I would put that message in there is because it would trigger thoughts from, you know, playing that fifth year in college, whether or not to do it, um, from crying on the mound to pitching the big games, and then also from overcoming that obstacle at Rhode Island. Like, believe in yourself. Whether I get fired from a job in five years from now, like, keep your head, peaks and valleys, like, push through it. And, you know, I think that just applies for myself and applies for anyone like who is really um, who needs that kind of advice is just to remember that what they've done and how they've gotten past it. So that, you know, it really, really kind of straightforward, believe in yourself. But that's that's what I would go with. All right, Max, I think that that does it for us. Thank you so much for Skyping over and uh, joining the podcast. Uh, do you do you want yeah, awesome. to plug yourself on social media? I know you're verified. Yeah. You're a very famous person. Oh uh, yeah, I don't even know what my tag is. I think I'm like at M at M Herms with a Z five. So if you're interested, <laughs> I right. am verified. I don't know how I got that thing. It's ridiculous, but all right. <laughs> well, I'll put your your Instagram thing in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I, I also I want to give a shout out to your girlfriend Erica, who is my friend from high school, who is the reason we yes. know each other. <laughs> I usually yeah, say that she's in the, the best. I love her. Love <laughs> <Erica>. <laughs> all right, uh, thanks, Max. Bye. All right, awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you to Max. Thank you all for listening to the first episode of The Chase. Our second episode is up right now with Brandon Porcazzi, first-time restaurant owner. We talk about all the fun that comes along with that. Um, we will be back next week, next Thursday, with Carl Gann. He is a video game writer for Ubisoft Singapore and a screenwriter. And it's a great interview. So thank you and uh, subscribe. And I hope you guys listen next week. Bye.